Hello and welcome to The Boldness. My name's Phineas Spear. Joining me in the studio is Raphael Caleb. Hello, Raphael. How are you doing there, Finn? Very well. Now, tonight, I should just say before we get going that The Boldness is all about not just waiting for some well-meaning person to give you your human rights, but demanding them. And and it's quite an apt theme for today's show, Human Rights. Right, what have we got coming up on today's show, Raph? Hell. It's it. We are talking with Sarah Barton, producer of Defiant Lives, about talking about the disability movement and how it has changed. Correct. So uh, hopefully Sarah will be on the line very soon. Joining us online is our guest tonight, f- f- filmmaker S- Sarah Barton, hello, Sarah. Hi, Finn. How are you? Very well. Now, um, you've got a your f- film, Defiant Lives, is having its first public screening tonight. Tonight, which explains why we're doing a pre-record early to- today. But um, so, uh, I guess the first question should be, uh, what's what is the film about for those people who haven't seen it? Uh, and for those who haven't heard a couple of interviews we've done over the years about the film. So so Defiant Lives is a feature documentary about the history of the disability rights movement. Um, It covers the movement in Australia, the US and also in the UK. Um, So we're having our first screening in Melbourne tonight at the Jam Factory at 6.30. I don't know, that might be a little bit of a rush for some of your listeners. They'd need to get online right now and buy a ticket. But we do have a couple of other screenings Screenings coming up over the coming weeks. Um, there's a charity screening for the Anne McDonald Centre, raising some money for the Anne McDonald Centre, which is on the 31st of July. And uh, I think we've also got one up at the Nova um, in August, so people can pre-book for those um, those screenings. And uh, I think we will also have a couple of screenings um, up at Acme in a couple of weeks, or you know, maybe late September as well. Fantastic. So, so, so. How did the sort of how did the disability rights movement start? Well, look, I think a lot of people came to disability rights from other rights movements. So um, Leslie Hall, for instance, who uh, famously got up on stage during the Miss Victoria quest in the early 1980s to protest on the. Um, depiction of beautiful women to raise money for people with cerebral palsy. Leslie came to disability activism through the women's movement um, and there were others who, who came to disability activism through other movements that they were involved in and you know gradually came to see themselves as disabled people who also had a, a particular set of rights that they needed to campaign for. Um, but that wasn't the case everywhere. Uh, certainly uh, in America, in Denver, where the 
big ADAPT movement began. That really happened when uh, a group of disabled people moved out of a nursing home and then realised that the world around them was actually incredibly inaccessible. They couldn't get onto buses, they couldn't get off the curbs because, you know, years ago there used to actually be a step down at every corner, not a little tiny curb cut and a, a ramp that allows you to just smoothly go from the curb to the road. So um, those kinds of activism certainly got going in response to the inaccessibility of the built environment. Now, Sarah, why do you think that the disability rights movement doesn't have nearly as much coverage as um, other possible movements that came out of the 60s and 70s? Look, I think um, it's an interesting one. There's certainly been coverage within the disability community, but it's been very difficult to get that out, um, out into the mainstream, which is really what I'm trying to do um, with Defiant Lives. I think that, you know, it's been quite difficult until very recently for disabled people to actually get access to telling their own stories. Um, I've been particularly interested in making films about disability for a couple of decades now, so for me, I guess it was a kind of um, an easy move, but I don't think a lot of other filmmakers have, had, have been particularly interested in disability activism. There's been a few stories told about sort of individual triumphs over adversity, but I don't think anyone until now has really looked at the sort of systemic issues uh, in the way that I have. And that's partly, you know, I think a lack of interest on the filmmaking community and it's also a part, partly a lack of access to equipment within the disability community, um, to equipment that's actually usable, um, you know, when you have a disability. So there's probably a few reasons. Now, Sarah, is that Defiant Lives is a documentary. How long has it taken to actually turn this into a film and how does it actually reflect um, what people go through and where they're at today? Look, the film's taken me a very long time to make. Um, I first started exploring this idea in 2008. Um, and look, one of the reasons the film took so long to make was that you know there'd be gaps where there'd be no funding, and I'd have to kind of go and chase up some more money. So um, certainly, you know, getting funding for the film was really difficult, and there were you know there would be periods of up to six months where nothing would progress. So um, it wasn't like I was working on it continuously for eight years, but certainly um, trying to make it happen continuously for eight years. Um, and then when we actually did get our completion funding from Screen Australia. We actually, by the time we got the film done, we realised we'd made 14 rough cuts uh, to try and get the story assembled in a way that actually made narrative sense. It's a very difficult, it's a very sprawling story and it was it was really challenging to find a way to tell a single narrative thread about an entire rights movement. I sort of think of this film as a, a documentary about the disability rights movement. I imagine, I hope, that there will be many more and that they will all be very different because there are many ways to tell this story. This is really sort of a beginning, a sort of an entree to a movement that's actually very diverse and, and very complex and, and, and has so many different sort of nuances to it. Um, you know, a lot of people go and see the film and they think, oh, this is missing or that's missing or, you know, something else they want to see is missing. And, and look, it's just very difficult to get everything into to one single feature film. Are there any commonalities between uh, rights and struggles through, through, throughout the UK, America and Australia? Look, there are a lot of common common threads and then there are these sort of differences and 
Um, look, I think that the common threads were that initially it began with a kind of um, trying to make the built environment more accessible. So getting the curb cuts, getting access to public transport, um, access to taxis, access to you know, equal opportunities in employment and that sort of thing. So there, there's, a, there's many sort of common themes. But then you kind of have the sort of um, backdrop of what's going on in the larger community. And, and I guess most startlingly, in the sort of six months since I actually finished Defiant Lives, um, you know, Australia and the UK and America have really diverged in what's going on. In Australia, we have... We still have our struggles, but we have a degree of optimism with the rollout of the National Disability Insurance Scheme, which should provide a platform from which we can all develop disability rights more. You know, once people have support, then you can build on that and everyone in the community can do more. Um, the NDIS is not the complete answer, but it is a platform. But by contrast, in America and the UK, you've got, you know, windbacks of basic support programs. So in America, you know, there's, there's sort of carnage happening on Medicaid and all also the uh, Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare, both of those kind of things are being sort of wound back and attacked by um, the Trump administration. And in the UK under Theresa May, you've got austerity happening um, and, you know, people are going out on the streets in protest against these things because those kind of rollbacks of programs of basic support, you know, the result of that is that people actually die because they don't get the support they need. Now, we're not facing that here right now. It's not to say that it can't happen. You've got to be ever vigilant to keep, to make sure that the, the rights remain and that they don't get attacked. Now, Sarah, what about things like uh, traditionally for a long time, if people had a cause or something they wanted to raise money for, they had telethongs. Now You've it's... seen the film, haven't you, Daniel? <laughs> the telethons come in for a, a bit of a, a beating um, in Defiant Lives because what in fact happened was, you, uh, you know, very early on, a lot of do-gooders thought, you know, they'd really like to find a way to raise some money to, um, to support disabled people. Or in the case of the Jerry Lewis telethon in America, they wanted to raise money so that doctors could do more research and try and find a cure for muscular dystrophy. Um, and then, you know, after a while, what happened was that disabled people started to speak up and say, actually, what's happening in these telethons is that, you know, often disabled children or um, other disabled people are being portrayed in these telethons as really, you know, hopeless and pathetic. And that's not really doing anything for the dignity and respect of disabled people. So so the activists started to, to ask, you know, please, can you change the way you do your fundraising. It's not good for us. Uh, but it, those those pleas fell on deaf ears largely. And, you know, the charities were so addicted to the money that they really couldn't find other ways to, to raise money without um, compromising the, the dignity of disabled people. And so really it became a bit of a battleground between um, those who were trying to raise money and at all at any cost and, you know, disabled people who said, well, really, this is not doing anything for us, having, you know, us portrayed as, as pathetic and dependent all over national television every year. Now, Sarah, when it comes down to uh, people with disabilities speaking up very, very strongly and with good reason making their objections known to being portrayed as uh, pathetic and uh, less than people, is that what about, let's say, in defiant lives, does it cover things from maybe the basics, from maybe in a person's life, maybe having a shower to going out to a date, to actually having community access to gaining employment? Or does it talk about anything like that? 
Look, we talk very generally about support, the support that people need to live in the community. And one of the big battlegrounds in the his, historically, and, and you know, perhaps it's evolving a little bit now, but one of the historic battlegrounds was really that, that battle to have support to live in your own home and to access the community. For too long, disabled people were housed in kind of, you know, warehouse institutions. Um, and to some extent, you know, what we've replaced that with is smaller institutions with some of the community residential units that, you know, might just have five residents, but they don't have a lot of freedom. So I think, you know, we've we've kind of gone into sort of fairly broad brushstrokes, which are around... Um, around access to the support to live into the live in the community but the other issue that's a big issue in Australia also is access to affordable housing because it's one thing um, you know the most important thing is to have access to support but then if you've got that support you have to actually be able to afford the housing and you know that's a really big issue in Australia at the moment because our housing is so expensive so so we we really have kind of you know not gone into a huge amount of detail about the sort of day-to-day -day rudiments of, of what that access means because I think that sort of coverage has been done a lot where people, you know, we sort of dissect the sort of day-to-day -day needs of individuals and I was less interested in that than, more than the, the kind of systemic political um, focus points of the movement and, and what they were after. Now, you, we're talking tonight to, on the bonus to... Filmmaker Sarah, Sarah Barton about her upcoming or about her film that's currently screening Defiant Lives. It's currently being released all around Australia at the moment, including the Jam Factory at six thirty this evening. So if you're listening to this and want to hurry to book a ticket, because uh, we're cl clearly on at six o'clock, you're going to have to uh, you're going to have to hurry, but you can probably. Can probably do it or go to other screenings. Um, just your film also covers uh, your film also covers um, many activists uh, who sadly are no longer with us. Um, do you ha tell us about tell us about some of them? Well, yes. Look, it's been it's been a, a rather sad few years because. Um, when I started making the film, I could see an urgency uh, that there many of the elders, you know, already, um, you know, were were dying, and um, so I felt that it was really urgent that I began sort of recording the, many of these stories. And of course, you know, very sadly, we've lost, you know, quite a few of the really leading figures um, in Australia. Of course, you know, many many uh, listeners will remember Stella Young, and she makes a brief appearance in the film. Um, but also Leslie Hall, who I mentioned before, who was um, very involved with the uh, protests against the Miss, uh, Miss Victoria quest. But also very recently this year in New South Wales, a couple of really strong activists who um, appear in the film, um, Joan Hume, who was a wonderful supporter of the film and, and very very dear friend of mine, really. Um, she passed away a few months ago. And then more recently, Jan Daisley, who tells her story in Defiant Lives about the 30 years that she spent living in a living hell really in an institution but when Jan came out of the institution her life really took off and she led a remarkable life really as an as a leader and an activist and and her funeral was just held yesterday in Sydney um so we you know it, it's been it's been a very sad time for me just um you know as as people who are in the film you know none of them are 
particularly young, so um, it's just it's it's been important that their voices were recorded and have been a part of Defiant Lives. But the flip side of that is that um, you know we're losing some of our great leaders all too soon. Now, Sarah, when it comes down to the people who, in the actual documentary, Defiant Lives, did you have a list of people that you'd like to put into the film Defiant Lives, or did you make a call for people with a disability, or how did you actually go about... Look, I actually started off with some. Re- I started with some online research, and and you know it's interesting to think back. You know, t- two thousand and nine to twenty ten were really the years that I was doing that online research, and there was much less information available. And I was getting ready to go overseas and and meet activists in the UK and the US. And so inevitably, what happened was, you know, I planned my journey. I had a wish list of um, several people I wanted to interview. When I got to the UK, it was September and a lot of them were holidaying in France, would you believe? So, you know, a couple of key key people that I would have loved to have had in the film, um, Mike Oliver, for instance, um, Baroness Jane Campbell, um, they were unavailable. But then I... You know, I got other voices, other people who were really important. So I don't think any single feature film could include every single person who was important in this movement. There were many, many um, voices. But I think I did manage to acknowledge some of the kind of most notable voices of the movement, even if I didn't sort of manage to interview them all. So, you know, I was fantastically fortunate to get some brilliant interviews with some of the real leading lights, um, you know, interviewing Zona Roberts, the mother of Ed Roberts, who is still, by the way, going going strong at 96. Um, you know, it was great to interview her, and I actually just recently caught up with her again when I was in Berkeley, and she was thrilled to see the finished film after many years. Um, so, look, there was a list, a very long list of people I would love to have interviewed, and yes, some of them slipped through the net, and some of them I interviewed, and we couldn't find a way to weave their story into the film. There were many interviews that ended up on the cutting room floor. So it was really about finding those stories that actually served the larger narrative and could give people a kind of snapshot of a disability rights movement that in fact is very sprawling. Now, Sarah, in the bigger picture, with Defiant Lives, okay, it's being screened in Australia. What's the possibility of it actually being able to go overseas or being available online at some stage? Absolutely. Well, we're certainly um, planning our US and UK releases of the film over the coming months. We are starting off in cinemas, so um, the film is not available online just yet. Um, If you want to see it probably this year, you need to go and see it in a cinema, but it's well worth it because the soundtrack is brilliant and the atmosphere um, of seeing the film in a cinema is really worth it. Um, Obviously, down the track, you know, there'll be other ways to see it, um, including, you know, online via some means. Or, or other, you know, probably sometime next year. Uh, but at this stage, we're, we're doing an exclusive cinema release. Um, so people do have to go and see it in the cinema. But it will be available um, in cinemas in the UK and America, hopefully Canada as well, and a few other countries. So we're, we're thinking global. The film has a global scope to it. Um, and we've certainly got requests and interest from a number of countries, including the French, I might add. The French were very quick onto it and, and really want to have it translated into French. So we're hoping we'll be able to do a successful season in France as well. Now, from an accessibility point of view, is that because it's a cinema um, release film, how does that rate for, let's say, if people um, 
uh, wheelchair users, for example. Okay, so um, we've we've really spent a lot of time and energy trying to get the access right. So all of the cinema screenings will have open captions, which means that hearing impaired people can read the captions um, on the film. Uh, the film is also audio described and anyone who wants to access the audio description can download an app called Movie Reading um, from your wherever you get your apps from. And uh, when you've got the Movie Reading app, you can um, open it up and download the Defiant Live audio description file and when you get into the cinema it will sync up to the film that's screening in the cinema and play that um, audio description for you in the cinema. Um, in terms of wheelchair access, Australian cinemas and indeed cinemas around the world have limited number of wheelchair spaces. So um, we've done our best to find cinemas that have, you know, as many as possible. But I've got to be honest about it, it's actually not that easy. So if you are a wheelchair user and you want to go to see it in the cinema, book early because those wheelchair spaces unfortunately do book out. Out. We do have an, a few organisations who are trying to organise screenings in other spaces where um, you know, there might be a flat uh, place where we can have multiple wheelchair users. We had a fabulous screening in Philadelphia a few weeks ago in America that was all on one level and we had, you know, it was probably 50% wheelchair users all mixed in with everybody else and it was just a lovely screening because um, it was just a, a totally accessible um, screening for people and that was great so um, yes I don't there's not a lot we can do about the accessibility of the cinemas because they are what they are but we're doing our best to make sure that we get them get the film into the most accessible cinemas possible. Now Sarah you, you also th through the course of this film have been lucky enough to go to the uh, United Nations and and, uh, and screen, screen it to p people in Lague. Yeah, well, no, it was in New York, it's United Nations in New York, yes. And that was just so exciting because we had a request come through from Canada, of all places, um, that they'd heard about the film, they'd watched the trailer, and they got in touch with People with Disabilities Australia in Sydney um, who were sending a delegation to the 10th Annual Conference under the Convention of the Rights of People with Disabilities. And um, so that we managed a huge amount of organisation was involved, but we managed to have it screened as a side event at that um, convention uh, in June this year. And it was really lovely screening because um, the people that had actually been involved with writing the UN Convention on the Rights of People with Disability 10 years ago, had what many of them were actually there in the room to see the film. And they they were really moved by the fact that the convention was actually nutted out in the same room where we screened the film. And they said it was really, really in interesting to see the role of, you know, the, the, a film about the activists because they pointed out that, you know, there's there's not a lot of kind of drama that happens for a documentary inside, you know, a room in the United Nations. I mean, that's, that's kind of fairly dry sort of politics and, and um, policy. But there's a real connection between the activism on the streets that happened and is portrayed in Defiant Lives and the actual political and policy developments that have happened behind the scenes. And the two groups really are dependent on each other. And uh, I thought that was a lovely sort of juxtaposition that came out of the um, screening that we had at the United Nations. What do, what do you hope that people who have seen or people who have no, come into this film cold who have no idea about the disability or di the disability 
rights movement want a better term get from it? Look, I really, I really made this film. Uh, the feedback so far from the disability community has been fabulous, and I think it'll be very useful in that community. But the film is actually really made to be accessible to anyone and everyone, no matter how how little connection you might have to disability. I guess all you need is a bit of curiosity. And the idea with the film is that everyone who watches that film can come out with the information, the knowledge and the the sort of ideas about how they can live a more accessible life. So no matter what you do in life, whether you're a you know, shopkeeper or a teacher or a, you know, a, an employer or, or whatever, everyone can make steps to provide greater access for people with disabilities. So I think that people watch the film and they come out you know, inspired to make change in their own lives. I hope that's what people come out with so that they can walk away and go, oh, okay, I can make sure that I always choose a venue that's accessible for whatever I do in my work. I can make sure that I, you know, make sure we have Auslan interpreters, that we have, you know, um, captions, that we have audio description, that we have wheelchair access. All of those things. I think people really do come away with a, with a bit more information and skill in doing better access. And that's really what I want. Well, Sarah, is it in the bigger pictures, like I know that you've mentioned that um, the Defiant Lives might be showing across in Canada, might be showing in France. What about our neighbours around, let's say, the um, southeastern Asian countries, for example, well, look, and we're, Korea? We're, we're certainly um, trying to get the film out there as much as possible. And really, you know, I suppose language is the only barrier and it's a matter of, you know, who who is able and, and willing to translate it into to their languages and, of course, then also provide all the access features, um, you know, an audio description in that language as well. So it is, it is a big project. I suspect it's going to be going on for a number of years. Um, I would hope that, you know, the film will reach out into a number of different language areas, but really that's, that's something that will happen over time. We've had interest from Germany, um, we've had interest, as I said, from, from France and, and French-speaking countries, um, and I imagine that over time there will be interest from other countries, but it's just a matter of having the resources to do those translations. Well, Sarah, people, uh, sadly, we're fast running out of time, but, and you've got to almost walk into your the screen as we speak. Um, if, you, uh, if people want to see the film, how can they, how can they go go about it or, or for that matter, find out more, more information about screenings. Okay, so we've got a, a website, defiantlives.com, and there's a link on there to our cinema screenings. Our screening partner is a company called Demand Film. So the way the films work, we have a number of screenings up online at the moment that people can just buy tickets for. Um, but if you see, a, if you don't see a screening in your area and you think that you can rally together, you know, like a group of 60 or 70 people to come to a screening, then by all means request a screening in your area because the way it works is people need to pre-book tickets and if we sell enough to make the screening viable which is usually about 60 or 70 then um, within seven days of the screening date the screening is confirmed the tickets remain on sale we can still sell more and the screening goes ahead if we don't have enough ticket sales in a certain area then we just postpone the screening or we we sort of reorganize it so that we've um, you know can make it happen some other way so um, it really is you know what the name of the company is demand film um, supply and demand but um, 
Yes, people can either just get online and buy a ticket at defiantlives.com or they can request a screening in their local area. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for joining us this evening and good luck with the yes. Good luck with the screenings. Thanks so much. Thanks, Sarah. We've been talking with Sarah Barton, film director of Defiant Lives. We'll be back on the 16th of August. Cheers. Coming up next, Tamil Voices. with it. 